It's great to be with you again uh, on this Sunday evening. And uh, I want to talk to you on the topic of what happens when the Spirit comes in power, part two. Uh, don't worry if you weren't around for part one, you can uh, look that up uh, on our internet, on our media section. And I'm going to do a little bit of recapping anyway. And uh, when I began this, I began to ask ourselves the question, what happens when the Spirit comes in power? Because the Spirit does come in power at certain times and in certain ways, in ways that he doesn't normally come. Now you can see that right through the whole of the Bible. Even in the Old Testament, there's times when the Holy Spirit would come very powerfully in his ministry, uh, perhaps on some of the judges, or there was times when he would visit the kings, like the Holy Spirit would come powerfully on King Saul, and he would begin to prophesy. And then the Holy Spirit would take prophets like Elijah and Elisha, and schools of prophets, and there would be a move, a powerful move, in the kingdom of the Holy Spirit. When Moses uh, sought to get more elders to help him administrate the people of God, and he got the elders, the Holy Spirit that was working through him, which shows you that Moses was charismatic. The Holy Spirit was the one that made Moses the leader that he was. The Spirit that was on Moses came on those elders, and they all began to prophesy. Somebody once said that, God never uses anybody without first giving them an experience with the Holy Spirit. And that God wants to use us, but he wants to use us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps we should ask ourselves, are we doing the works of God in our own strength too much? And, and how much could we achieve that we are achieving without God anyway? I'm talking about every aspect of our personal lives, not just our corporate life here at church. And, uh, and, and what is it that makes the difference in our life that is God? I mean, can we, can you, can I look at our lives and say, do you know, that bit, that's God. That's not me, that couldn't be me, that's God. Because if we can't, then I want to challenge us to say we're not really living as people in the Spirit. Last week I spent a couple of days at one of my favourite ministries called Teen Challenge. You ever heard of Teen Challenge? Um, and they take people straight off the streets that are ter in terrible situations of alcoholism and, and drug and they bring them to the Lord and they bring them into their centres and then they bring a rehabilitation programme that's based really on prayer and the gospel. And so I was there with them, visiting for two days and teaching them and teach, doing some uh, teaching to the whole of them and, and then also in their leadership academy. And they'd asked me to speak on the subject of revival, which is when the Holy Spirit comes in uh, power. And um, I gave them all a copy of my book and uh, you can get hold of this for three pounds and it, you can also get electronic versions. Uh, Land of Hope and Glory, British Revivals Through the Ages. Each chapter is a summary of a revival or when the Holy Spirit came in power into the history of the British Isles at different times, right from the Middle Ages right up to the Hebrides um, uh, of last century. And I said to them, as I was teaching them principles of when the Holy Spirit comes in power, I said, your homework is to choose a 
chapter, any chapter that you want, and come back and say uh, what you've seen of the Holy Spirit moving in power that we've seen from the scriptures evidenced in these revivals. And so they came back and they spoke about how they'd seen what was in the Bible of the Holy Spirit coming in power happening in these various revivals. And so I encourage you, if you've not read it, get hold of it. It's only three pounds. And you can dip into it and you can see what happens in history when the Holy Spirit comes in power that we often call a revival. And then I spoke to them and said, well, you know, when you're looking at your life and the transformation that has taken place in your life from the situations that you've come, what aspects of your life have you, can you say well, that wasn't me. That was the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit could transform me. And of course, they've got incredible testimonies of coming out of terrible drug cultures. And as they began to talk about what the Holy Spirit did in their lives when he came in power, it, it was amazing. They know that they are a work of the Holy Spirit. So what about us? What aspects of our lives is, can only be attributed to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And what is he doing and what is he about in our lives right now? Because God's at work. We don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit to come in revival power for him to work. God, the Holy Spirit, is always at work. He's at work in us right now. He's at work in our lives. He's at work in the ministry. He's at work in all these things. But when we talk about the Spirit coming in power, we're talking about something that we're seeking God for, which is a fresh Pentecost. Now, the disciples were casting out demons. They were healing the sick. Jesus had breathed the Holy Spirit upon them before the day of Pentecost had ever, had ever happened. But as they sought God for Pentecost, God was changing their hearts as they sought the Holy Spirit. And then there did come a moment suddenly when the Holy Spirit came in power. Last time I spoke on this topic, we looked at when the Holy Spirit comes in power, the environment, the spiritual environment, changes dramatically. We looked at the parables of the sower. The sower sowed the seed. The seed is the word of God. We spoke about different people's hearts. And we said that when revival comes, it's like the latter rain coming. And those seeds germinate and sprout and bear fruit in a quicker way than they've, they've ever done before. The Holy Spirit comes and everything begins to grow. It's like springtime when the Holy Spirit comes. Springtime in your garden. During a winter period, everything's still there, but it lies dormant. There are seeds of God in your life and my life that are lying dormant. Some are germinating and slowly growing, and we praise God for that. But there are many dormant seeds. There are dormant seeds that are lying in the hearts of people right throughout Britain. Dormant seeds, dormant prophecies. And the Holy Spirit, when he comes in rain, he activates the seed of God wherever it is. Seed that's already germinating and bearing fruit, he quickens, he, he encourages, and they bear more fruit quicker. Seeds that perhaps have, haven't been touched for a long while, the Holy Spirit suddenly touches those seeds and they spring to life. Uh, there is a, a, a weather front that comes across South America every so often called El Nino. And what happens is, is the weather, weather's changing across the uh, oceans and in comes a warm front and with it some amazing uh, deluges of rain. 
Well, there was one El Nino that took place just before uh, the great revivals of 1906. It was in 1904. And it was a big weather front that hit South America. And the rains poured and they poured and they poured. And they poured in some areas of South America that had not received rain for hundreds of years. It was the first time for hundreds of years that the rain had touched the soil. But within that soil, dried and kept, were seeds that had lied dormant for hundreds of years. When the rain came, those invisible seeds suddenly came to life and the desert was turned into an oasis within hours and days. And that's a picture of what happens when revival comes. But when revival comes, not just the seeds and the work of God flourishes uh, beyond all imagination, bearing fruit left, right and centre, an acceleration, a magnifying and an intensifying of the work of God. But with that, other things are intensified, magnified and brought to the surface. Not only the things of God, but we also see that the flesh is also brought to the surface. And so often things of the flesh that can remain hidden in winter periods or or relatively quiet periods of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes in power, then these things, if they're not, they're brought out to be dealt with. But if they're not dealt with, they become a very strong force opposing the work of the Holy Spirit. You see the flesh rising up against Jesus in the Pharisees and others throughout his ministry. If he'd kept quiet, their flesh would not have been provoked. You know what I'm saying? And so with the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes in power, the work of God is quickened, is magnified, is intensified, is excited, and and great fruit takes place. But also the flesh rises up, and finally also the devil, counterfeit religions. It's like when God brings the Holy Spirit, the environment is right for all things to increase. The things of God, the things of the flesh, and the things of the enemy. And these are the sort of things that I, uh, I looked at last time, but I won't go too much into detail. Now I want to go a little bit further in what happens when the Spirit comes in power and, and how he accelerates the work that he is already involved with, but the work that he does, he does in far greater intensity. So what is the main works of the Holy Spirit that during a time of him coming in power are multiplied and increased almost beyond imagination? Well, the first and most important work of the Holy Spirit is the work of regeneration. Regeneration. Turn to John chapter 3 and verse 3. The term regeneration means to be born again, to be a new creation. Jesus is speaking about this to Nicodemus and he says in John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of Spirit is Spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Now here, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it. But you do not know where it's coming from and where it's going. 
so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so here we find that the Holy Spirit's work in regeneration is to cause people to be born again. He takes out the old heart of stone, as Ezekiel says, and he puts in a new heart, a soft heart, a new nature, a born-again nature that becomes the new engine to drive forward the Christian's life of faith. You must be born again. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And notice, it says, the wind blows where it wishes in verse 8. Well, the same word for wind is the same word for spirit. In the Greek, pneuma can mean spirit, or pneuma can mean wind. It's the same in the Hebrew. Ruach can mean wind, or ruach can mean spirit. And so the wind or spirit blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, you feel the effects of it, but you don't know where it's coming and you don't know where it's going. This is a really good insight into the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, when I talk about seeking God to send the Holy Spirit in greater power and working, well, I mean that we should do that. But how the Holy Spirit comes and when the Holy Spirit comes in power... It's it's like trying to predict the wind. You can't. The Holy Spirit comes how and when he likes in unusual ways and unusual places. Just read this book and you'll see some examples of that. But that doesn't mean we can't seek for him to come. In fact, in Luke 11, it starts talking about the Our Father prayer. It then goes in to encourage people not to give up praying the Our Father prayer. Uh, And like the man at the middle of the night who knocked on the door for bread because his uh, friends had come and the neighbour didn't want to give him any because it was late at night, but out of of embarrassments and shame, he gave it him anyway. Like the unjust judge who didn't want to give the widow justice, but she wouldn't leave the unjust judge away in the end just to shut her up, not out of any any goodness of his heart, he gave her, her, her her justice. And then Jesus says, ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, knock and keep knocking. Because if you keep asking, you're going to get one day. And if you keep knocking, the door will open one day. And if you keep seeking, that which you're seeking, you will find one day. And then he says, what sort of parent gives their child a scorpion or a stone or a snake when they're asking for a bread or some some egg or some fish? And then it says, you being evil, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So I tell you what, the Father's saying, come and ask me. You want more of the Holy Spirit? You want the Holy Spirit to come in power? to come in extraordinary power rather than just working in ordinary power. You see, people have in the past spoke about the ordinary work of the Holy Spirit. Jonathan Edwards, a great revivalist who'd been there and seen that in the 1800s in, in America, uh, he, he, um, he, 1700s, he spoke about the ordinary work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what most of us have experienced in our lives. Not that anything the Holy Spirit did is ordinary, But compared to when the Holy Spirit comes in power, what he's doing is ordinary, believe me. Uh, When the day of Pentecost took place, it was an extraordinary day that led into an extraordinary season. And so we thank God for everything that God's doing in our lives and our ministries. It's the Holy Spirit from start to finish. It's his ordinary work. 
But when the Holy Spirit comes in reviving power, or comes in power like a Pentecostal deluge, that comes in an extraordinary way. And we've just read about this wind coming and the Holy Spirit just blowing in. We don't know where it's coming from. We don't know where it's going, but we feel its effects. And what are the effects of this wind that Jesus is speaking about? People begin to get saved. When you look at revivals in the past, this is the thing that happens when the Holy Spirit comes in power. Guess what? He does what he's already doing. How many people here have got saved? It was the Holy Spirit that saved you. He does what he's already doing, but he does it in such a great and intensifying way. Think about the day of Pentecost. The night before the Holy Spirit was poured out in extraordinary power on the day of Pentecost, the night before there was only 120 people left from the whole ministry of Jesus. He'd ministered thousands and thousands. Where were they now? He showed himself, raised from the dead to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, 500 at one time. Where were they now? And now only 120 were left of Jesus' whole ministry. But within a few short hours, when the Holy Spirit came in extraordinary power, 3,000 people had given their lives to the Lord. And then we just see, and you can read those early, those early chapters of Acts, and you see this incredible move of the Holy Spirit. And what's happening? People are getting saved. Priests are getting saved. The very priests that put Jesus on the cross, many of them get saved. The Holy Spirit comes in his power, and people start to get saved. Why do they get saved? Because the Holy Spirit comes in one of his main capacities and works on the earth. He comes in conviction power. Turn to John chapter 16 and verse 7. You know, it's always interesting to hear people's testimony about how they came to Christ. Sometimes you hear people that were brought up in good, solid Christian families and the parents had prayed for them and they'd got every opportunity to come to the Lord at a young age and they do and that's an amazing testimony in itself and often they're spared a lot of the of what sin can do by by coming to the Lord early and that's great but when you hear people's testimony often that the manner and the means which people get saved are extraordinary every testimony of salvation your testimony of salvation is an extraordinary story it's lovely to hear people's testimonies nobody's testimonies is exactly the same as somebody else it's a unique work of the Holy Spirit and sometimes you hear people who are getting saved and and they got saved in extraordinary ways The, the, the last thing that was on their mind was being a disciple or a follower of Jesus. Maybe for you at one stage in your time, the last thing that was on your mind was that you were going to follow Jesus. But the Holy Spirit came, he blew into your life, and he caused you to be born again, and he brought convicting power. Here we are in John chapter 16, verse 7. Speaking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Well, let's start, yes, yeah, start from then. But I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The Father sends the Spirit, you see, the Son does. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Sin because they do not believe in me. Righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. And so here we find that the Holy Spirit, when he comes and does his work, he convicts people. 
Most of us here in this place tonight are here and we're Christians because the Holy Spirit convicted us of sin, righteousness and judgment. It was his work. Now this word convicting is a very powerful work. It means convincing, convicting to a result. It's not him coming and suggesting. And the Holy Spirit I will send and he will suggest to the world concerning sin, righteousness and judgment. He'll suggest concerning these things. It's not that at all. The word is strong. It is he will convict, he will argue and he will convince those people that he convicts in the world. He will convince them utterly and totally of the fact that they are sinners, that Jesus died for them and that the devil and this world has been judged. That's what it is. Whoever the Holy Spirit comes in power upon, in his convicting power, will, have, have, will be saved. They've got no, they, they, thank God they've got no choice in the matter. When the Holy Spirit puts his finger on your life to convict you, he doesn't take his finger off until he has brought you through. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so when the Holy Spirit comes in power, guess what? Many, many, many more people get saved because the influencing work of the Holy Spirit in convicting power and in regeneration power is being multiplied, intensified and magnified. That's why when you read about any revival in any place at time, you suddenly begin to see, like the day of Pentecost, that hundreds and thousands of people suddenly come to the Lord in a very short time. People who had no interest in God at all, all of a sudden have an interest in God that calls them, causes them to give their lives to Jesus. What's happened? The Holy Spirit has come sweeping in and he sweeps people into the kingdom. I mean, some of the stories you get in the revivals, like the Ulster revival in Ireland, you know, people, people of no interest in God at all, they were holding revival meetings in a church. Some people, they would walk past on the other side and without even realising they were opposite a church where a great powerful meetings were happening, would suddenly find themselves on their knees, asking God to forgive them, not even knowing why. People will come into the kingdom, they're saved, and they don't even know what's happened to them. I said last time when I spoke on this, that when the Holy Spirit comes in power, he touches people in their heart, at the seat of their heart and the seat of their emotions. When the Holy Spirit comes in power, people respond emotionally to the Lord. But you know what? It's not, it's not just, it's not sort of the emotion that you might get at a pop concert. Oh, swoon, you know. Or it's not an emotion that you might get when your football team scores a goal. But this is the emotion of God coming into your life. And it's a deep-seated emotion. Of course, in revival times, some people get silly. Well, some people get silly in non-revival times in our services. And we have to ask them uh, to, to be part of the congregation instead of trying to stand out so that everybody can see them. But generally speaking, I'm talking about a work of the Holy Spirit going deep into your heart. You know, if God doesn't touch your emotions, you won't get saved. Because the emotional part of you is the motivational part of you. And so when God touches you deep, deep down in your innermost being, it's going to affect your emotions. And you see this in revival. People being swept into the kingdom through convicting power. Convicting power. Conviction of sin. I need sin. is strong. Not just in people that don't know the Lord that suddenly realize I'm a sinner. 
Not many people in London think that they're sinners, do they? That's the problem. When the Holy Spirit comes, they begin to see what they didn't see before. In the church, people begin to realize that when the Holy Spirit comes in power and convicts the church, I don't know if that's quite the word, right word, but, but really shows the church, this is my next point, what state they're really in, the church changes and realizes, I've been living in a dream world. In fact, we, uh, we have heard from R.T. Kendall of the last couple of years, one of his major messages has been the midnight cry, hasn't it? And the fact that the church, by and large, in the Western world, is asleep, is in slumber. And just like when you're in sleep and you're dreaming, you don't really realize that you're asleep because you're, you're dreaming. And as R.T. says, when you're asleep and you dream, you do things in your dreams that you would never do in, 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 in real life. And, and you don't know that you're awake because you're having a dream. And what he's saying is that when the Holy Spirit comes in the end time, uh, that the Holy Spirit is going to awaken the church with like a trumpet call. He's going to awaken the church and the church will hear in the Spirit and awaken. And when the Holy Spirit comes, this is what he does. If we, if we move a little bit further on, in verse 12 of John 16, it says, I have many more things to say to you, Jesus says, but you can't hear them now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. The spirit of prophecy. He will glorify me and he will take of me, of mine, and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I say that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. You see, he's the spirit of truth. We find in John chapter 14, may or may not turn later to it, Jesus again speaks in John 14, a great passage of sending the Holy Spirit. He says that the Holy Spirit will come and he will teach you. He has a teaching ministry. But don't just think it's the normal day-to-day, -day, ordinary teaching ministry of the church, as good as that can be. But when the Holy Spirit comes in power, I'm trying to explain to you, everything he's already doing happens, but it happens in a greater, more concentrated, magnified, powerful way. So when the Spirit of truth comes in power, it's like an alarm bell ringing in your ear. It's like a megaphone being spoken into your heart. And truths of the scripture that go in one ear whirl about in your mind for a few hours and out the other ear, when the spirit of truth comes in power, these truths don't go in one ear and out the others, but they resonate in your heart and cause dramatic and profound change in line with the truth given. So when the Holy Spirit comes in power, sermons and teachings are often graced with a convincing, convicting power that comes with signs and wonders attesting to the truths of these words. We see in the Acts of the Apostles that the preaching, when Peter preached, people's heart says, you have cut us to the heart. 
He preached a sermon. And it wasn't that it was a great sermon, but it was that the Holy Spirit owned the sermon, took the sermon, and convicted the people of the contents of the sermon. You've cut us to the heart. That's emotional language. What must we do to be saved? That's emotional language. The Word of God does not just reside then in the minds of people listening to fine sermons and good sermons, but something more powerful takes place. The heart is cut. The heart is moved. The heart is shaken. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was the minister of Westminster Chapel and the mentor of R.T. Kendall, and who many think was one, if not the, greatest British preacher of all time, he said about this, that great preaching is not about content. And Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones has more content in his teaching than you could ever imagine. Just read some of his books. But he says, great teaching is not so much about the content delivered, but the impression that's left. The impression that's left. You go into a Holy Ghost meeting and the sermon is preached and it may have some great points, but when you go away, the Holy Spirit has made an impression on your heart and life that brings about change. Notice here as well in this verse 12 following in John 16, it's talking about he'll take from me. He won't speak of his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Whatever he finds, he'll disclose. He'll take of me, says Jesus, and give it to you. All things of the Father are mine. That's why I say he takes of me and discloses it to you. What, what is the picture here? The Holy Spirit is our connection to the power of heaven. He, he is the executive in the Trinity at the moment. And he comes to bring the executive power of the kingdom of God from the throne room of the Father and the Son into and to manifest on the earth today. The Holy Spirit is our link with the powers of heaven. And so here in this passage it says, he listens to what Jesus is saying. This is right now, the Holy Spirit is everywhere, you know that. The Holy Spirit right now is listening to what Jesus is speaking, what's on the heart of the Father, He's listening to what Jesus is speaking to the Father. Wow, that's powerful. Jesus in He's listening and he is depositing what he's hearing in the church. But when he comes in power, I tell you what, when you read of, of times when he comes in power, when you look at the Acts of the Apostles, it's like it's like there's there's no distance between heaven and earth. It's like the windows of heaven are not only open, but it's like heaven begins to descend down to earth. It's like the difference between being on earth and being in heaven is just a thin veil instead of a big brass wall between us and heaven that we have to break through. And the powers of the air are pushed aside. And it's what we call, you ever heard the phrase, open heaven? There was an open heaven. Well, an open heaven is when the Holy Spirit comes in power and what he is bringing, he is amplifying exactly what's happening in heaven and he is depositing it it on earth in great power. So communion with God is more powerful. Jesus seems closer than ever before. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is taking of him and bringing to us. He's taking of him and bringing him to us 
every day. I hope he is tonight. He's taking from him and, and touching the preaching and our Bible reading and, all, and our worship. He's doing that all the time. But what I'm trying to say is that when he comes in power, it's not, that, that is like ordinary compared to when he comes in power and, and, and it's like the heavens are opened above us. Angelic power is moving and Holy Ghost power is coming. And it's almost like the, the words, it's almost like Jesus is really in the house. Not, oh, Jesus is in the house, yeah. No, Jesus is really in the house. There's an intensifying of the presence of heaven, the powers of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. God's will happens in a moment. Uh, People are awakened and attuned. The church is sobered. Because another picture of the church during ordinary times is not only that it's asleep, slumbering, slumbering along, doesn't really realise because it's never felt the Holy Spirit come in power. This is why... Every new generation needs to have its own upper room experience. Call ourselves Pentecostal, don't believe it. Take it as a prophecy, not as a fulfillment. We're pre-Pentecostals. If we were Pentecostals, our worlds would be turned upside down and we'd be turning London upside down and the world upside down. This is not to accuse us of not doing our work, but I'm saying we can't do it without the Holy Spirit. But one thing we can do is we can seek him for it. In fact, seeking him for it will bring it. The Father says, you being evil, uh, how much more will I give the Holy Spirit to those that ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, knock and keep knocking, and the Holy Spirit will eventually come into your life in power. He will. Father's promised it. As much as a dad and mum will give a bread to a hungry child, the Holy God, the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those that ask but keep asking. Seek but keep seeking. Knock but keep knocking. Keep knocking the doors of heaven will be open. Keep seeking. One day suddenly out of the blue, a wind is going to blow in your life and circumstances and you'll go, my God, what is this? The Holy Spirit has come in power. Ask. And one day, asking and asking and asking, you're going to be asking, one day your hands are going to be full. They're going to be so full of the Holy Spirit, you won't know what to do with yourself because God has promised that if we ask for the Holy Spirit to come in power and continue to ask, the how much more will the Father in heaven send the Spirit to those? He's saying this because he knows we have to press in. It doesn't come automatically because I tell you what, the Holy Spirit is too precious to come automatically. And the Holy Spirit causes us to long for him before he comes. Because one of the problems in revival is this. Often revivals only last or only have an effect on one generation. Because the next generation that comes through, they're born into revival. They take it for granted. They they take it lightly. They think they can put their hand on the ark to steady it. They think it's their birthright. They don't do anything about it. They've been birthed in revival. They've seen it all. In fact, they are a bit bored with it. And often the next generation can can be distracted and think, oh, the world looks quite good because they've had so much and and, and they've desired it for so little. So every single generation needs to redig the wells of revival. The, the, The most healthy thing for you to be is a seeker of the Holy Spirit. In fact, God does as much, let me say this again, God does as much in your life as you seek him as he does when you find him. That's why he continues to allow him to seek him. 
He could give us, give us great powers of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we have the Holy Spirit. But he could give us great power of the Holy Spirit immediately. But we're not ready for it. He wants to prepare us for it. Every generation of Christians has to have their own upper room experience. And guess what? It's usually about 120 usually about 120. So we get this convicting power. We get this taking of Jesus and, and bringing Jesus closer to us. And uh, when the Spirit comes in power, now it doesn't have to come. He can come. Sometimes this Spirit comes in power on an individual in a private devotional life. It's not all or nothing. If you seek him, you will find him. He will sober you. He'll cause you to come awake. You'll see things in a heavenly perspective instead of an earthly type of haze. Another thing the Holy Spirit does, and does even greater when he comes in power, is he searches the heart. He searches the heart. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The greatest work of the Holy Spirit is not signs and wonders. He does signs and wonders. That's a sign of the Holy Spirit coming in power. But those signs and wonders are to get people's attention. But 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we hear a work of the Spirit. And Paul is saying, I just preached to you the gospel. I didn't come to you in cleverness, but I came not in persuasive words, but, but in demonstration of spirit and of power. And then here in verse 10, for to us God revealed them through the spirit, for the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolish to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Now here we find that one of the great works of the Holy Spirit is to search our hearts, to search the things of God and also to search our hearts so that we can have a proper appraisal of who we are. In your New Revival Times, read uh, an article by Colin where he's basically speaking about appraising ourselves of, of where we are spiritually, which is very important. Well, appraising ourselves, this is a work that we do with the Holy Spirit. Search me and try me, Holy Spirit, and see if there's something in me that is not of God. Show me, Lord. Lord, help me see the plank in my eye uh, rather than me seeing the speck in others. This is a powerful releasing work of the Holy Spirit that comes and searches and works in our heart. He pours the love of the Father into our hearts. The main work of, when in the revival you'll see many things. You'll see emotional reactions to the power of the Holy Spirit. You'll see physical reactions to the power of the Holy Spirit. People might faint under the power of God. They might be filled with joy. The many, 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 many things happen when the Holy Spirit comes in power. But his main work 
is in the heart. And when the Holy Spirit comes in power in a church or a country or even in an individual life, and on this I want to close, we have to know that it'll be like, it'll be shake, rattle and roll. In fact, that was the title of a leaflet Colin did on what happens, the effects of revival that you can see when the power of God comes. I told you in the last uh, sermon, it can be a very messy business. A very messy business. Why? Because the things of God are intensified. But the flesh rises up and the devil counterfeits. That's why in a proper revival meeting where the Holy Spirit is poured out in power, you're going to see things. You're going to see the work of God. You're going to see silliness of the flesh. And you're going to see the work of the enemy all mixed together. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what he provokes. And don't be, uh, don't, don't, don't be frightened when you see these things. God brings everything to the surface so that nothing can be hidden and everything can be dealt with in the day when the Holy Spirit shines his torch on what's going on in, in planet Earth. But during this time, of great powerful moves of the Holy Spirit, of great visitations of the Holy Spirit on an individual like yourself or a group or whatever way he comes and to whom he chooses that seek him. During these times, what you have to do, what we have to do, is we have to focus on the main work of the Holy Spirit, which is maturing disciples. That's what he's doing this for. He's not just bringing people into the kingdom. He's bringing people into the kingdom to be disciples of Jesus. The moment that you are born again, the Holy Spirit, his greatest work and what he's working most greatly to do is to produce in your life the fruit of himself, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And this is the problem with nearly every revival that you see. People get swept into the kingdom by the power of God. But then they're not discipled or taught the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Great gifts are displayed, prophecies, miracles, salvations, signs and wonders, prophecies. All these things come in great power when the Holy Spirit comes in great power. But what the Holy Spirit is really trying to do is mature those that have just become new babes in Christ. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes in power, it's time to dig deep with the Word of God. It's time to see not only love, joy, peace, but also patience and endurance, long-suffering, generosity of heart and an openness, a kindness to all that are around, especially those that are in the flesh and persecuting you at the moment. A faith in God and a faithfulness no matter what comes, comes by. A, a gentleness that knows how to wield power for the benefit of others and not one's self. And also a, a self-control that comes from the fear of the Lord and wanting to follow him. These are the greatest things that the Holy Spirit is doing when he comes in power to produce love for God and love for one another. That is the goal of revival. However, as I've said, you'll find that in nearly every account of revival, although there's, there's great manifestations of love, it's not the focus of those going through the revival. And therefore, the revival comes very quickly and often goes very quickly. And, and masses of people that come to Christ, all of a sudden they drain away. Even Jesus, remember? Even Jesus, hundreds and thousands and thousands of people began to follow him. But by the end, when he began to call on discipleship, take up your cross and follow me, 5,000 went to 200. 
began to preach a message. You have to drink my blood and eat my flesh purposely uh, offensive, purposely not explaining it. And by the end of that, thousands and thousands who've ate the bread and and enjoyed the miraculous, thousands left him. And uh, Jesus turned to his disciples and said, are you going too? They're all that were left. And Peter said, basically said this, my translation, we would, Lord, but we've got nowhere else to go. Which is, we've got nowhere to go, Lord. Well, show us somewhere and we will. You see, when Jesus began to, to, to do to the crowds, that's what he was focused on. As soon as the crowds came in revival, Jesus began speaking about the weightier matters of love, justice, dealing with one another's relationships, the Sermon on the Mount. Anyway, these are some thoughts on the type of things when the Holy Spirit comes in power. You say, well, why are you talking about this? Well, I'm hoping that he will come in power. When? I don't know. Sooner, I hope, rather than later. And I'm hoping, perhaps, perhaps, that some seeds have been sown in your heart for desiring the Holy Spirit to come in power. Maybe you've never thought about the Holy Spirit coming in great power. Maybe all you've experienced of God is all that you think that there is. Read some of this. Go out and find out. Find out what God's done before. We thank God for everything that he does, but, but there's so, so, so much more. Wouldn't it be awful if we here today and you watching on TV, the only revival, the first revival we ever tasted of was when we went to heaven. Wouldn't it be great if somehow the Holy Spirit could work in our hearts and we bring some, the days of heaven to earth that we experience one by ourselves and together. Let me tell you something, there's nothing in this earth for you. There's nothing in this earth for you. You think you're going to get satisfied with a career? You think you're going to get satisfied with a house? You think you're going to get satisfied with a husband or a wife? You think you're going to be satisfied with kids? You think there is no satisfaction in this world, whatever at all, in any way. And if you think there is, you're deceived. You are drunk, spiritually drunk. You are in a deep sleep, my friend. The only satisfaction that is available is the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in his word. It's the only thing. How many times are we going to go around in circles seeking that which only comes from God alone? Seeking the, 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 that which will quench the heart's desire that can only be quenched by the spiritual water that we take. God, Holy Spirit, stir our hearts and move our hearts and open our eyes and convict our minds and move in our emotions and open our hearts to something that we haven't yet experienced that is available and cause something inside us to arise that is not of human origin but is a seeking and a desire that comes from God himself. Holy Spirit, impart into our lives fresh desires for the things of the kingdom, a fresh jealousy for the things of God, a fresh zeal. We can't do it ourselves, Father. By ourselves, we just revert to the flesh. 
by ourselves, we just revert to the ordinary. Thank you for the ordinary. It's still better than, than without you. We revert to the ordinary, to the day by day, the week by week, the commonplace church experience, the commonplace believer. We become, we become thermometers in this world. God, only you can take the hearts of your saints and turn their hearts as a thermostat. Heat us up, Lord. You can't, we can't do it. We can't do it. We have no desire except that which comes from you and of your own. Without you, we're carnal, we're fleshly, we're worldly. Without you, we are drunk on the things of the world. Without you, we are asleep. We're in a heavy, heavy sleep. And as much as your word preached tries to shake us, we lift our head and we fall back on the pillow, Lord. But should you come, and begin and increase your workings in our hearts in these days. Increase your movings in our hearts. And share your thoughts with our thoughts and your heart with our hearts. And begin to turn these hearts of clay and begin to soften them again by the heat of your presence and your power, your word and your spirit. And begin to stir and once again, come and visit your people with godly desire, godly fervor that overcomes the flesh. Once again, put your finger on our hearts as you did on the day you caused us to be born again and finish what you began in our lives for some of us months, some of us years ago. And the callings on our lives and the fruit of the Spirit that you're trying to produce the fruit of the Spirit that is meant to be who we are in practice, not in theory. God, we come to you. Father, send your Holy Spirit in our lives at this time, in Kensington Temple at this time, in every one of us. Overcome us by your love and your grace and your mercy. Give us a vision of the blood-stained Christ who died and rose again. Melt our hearts and cause the Holy Spirit to blow like a wind. We don't know when he's coming. We don't know how he's coming. But Father, send him so that we might feel the effects of the Spirit of God blowing in our hearts, our minds and our experiences. And don't leave us in our slumber and don't leave us in our sleep and don't leave us in our drunkenness and don't leave us in our blindness and our deafness. But give us fresh ears to hear what the Spirit is saying and not what we just think He's saying or project He's saying or pretend He's saying. And cause us to take stock of our own lives by the power and grace of Almighty God that we could see the stains that are in our lives but not so that we're discouraged but encouraged that what you show us you will heal in our hearts and stir us by the power of God and let God come again to Kensington Temple in power and God come again to Kensington in power and in might and in the Holy Ghost God, come again to the streets of London like you've done before, into the households and the neighborhoods, into the boroughs and the town halls and the places of policy and the places of rule and the pubs and come again, Holy Spirit, to London. Meet us and greet us and change us and have mercy on us and hold not our sin against you. But Lord, overcome our sin with your grace and your mercy. Father, send your Holy Spirit to your church. 
Send your Holy Spirit to your church in Britain. Send your Holy Spirit to your church in Europe and cause a maturity to come. Mature us and multiply us and mobilize us and take our flesh out and, and let the heart that you've placed in us the new divine engine, the born-again engine. Fire it up on all cylinders, Lord. And that old engine that was no good, that broken, fallen engine of the old man. Oh, God, may it be put out of action, rendered powerless. It can't produce anything but, Lord, the new engine of your Holy Ghost-inspired, born-again people. God, cause the nature of your born-again people to be fired up, turbo-boosted on all cylinders. Oh, God, bring forth the born-again anointing. That which is hidden beneath the flesh, let it fire on all sin cylinders. God, will you move on your church once again in mercy and power? Cause us to be in a place where we'll be able to carry the type of things that you want. In a place where the power of God will not be used for self or promotion. God, you'll raise us up as a new generation, young and old, but a new generation, a new Pentecost generation. God, we can't do it. We cannot do it. We are totally and utterly devoid of our own ability to do any of these things whatsoever in any way. That's why we call on you and believe that even our calling on you perhaps is you doing a work in our lives. Let's stand together. Just where you are, just ask the Holy Spirit to do, to do a work in your heart. I'm not asking you to go out and win London in a night. I'm not asking you to do what only Pentecost brings. I'm just asking you to ask the Holy Spirit to do something in you and to work deep in your heart. That's all I'm asking, really. Holy Spirit, don't bypass me because he will bypass some who are interested. They'll be bypassed. Like, like R.T. said, when the midnight call comes, those that aren't ready, those that aren't been seeking, they'll just be bypassed. They'll just be thrown to the side. Hallelujah. But if you're here today or you're watching on the screen, the Holy Spirit is already putting his finger on you. Any desire that's within you comes from him, fan it into flame. We need every one of you. We need every one of you in the coming years as we mobilize, mature, Seek God's multiplication on our hands, every single one of you. You've got to get ready, my friend. We've got to get ready. We've got to get ready. Pentecost is coming. We've got to believe that Pentecost is coming. We've got to believe that there's more. We've got to believe that in our lives, not in the, not in the next generation, we've got to believe you're, God's got his finger on you. You're not just a person in the pew. You're not just a person in a cell. Or you're not just a, an occasional attender or watcher. God has his finger on you. You better shape up. You better allow God's work in his life to work in you. This isn't something you do outside in. You discover what God is already doing and you fan it into flame. You say more of what you're doing. No matter how small, no matter how tiny the work of God that's in you. Identify it right now and let it flow. Hallelujah. The days of preparation are not just preparation for days, but 
The days of preparation are the days of the Holy Spirit. They're sweet days. Sweet days. Because it's the work of God today. Sweet days. Holy Spirit, work inside our hearts. An increased work. An intensifying, magnifying work in every single one of our hearts. Only you can do it. Left to our devices, we'll leave today and we'll be cold by tomorrow. But Lord, we believe that you're not going to let that happen. You're going to keep going. And Lord, if we take three steps forward and two steps back, that's one step forward. We understand there's times when you ebb and you flow. There's times when we'll feel like the Holy Ghost is all over us and we can move mountains. And there's times when you'll show us what we're like without you and we'll feel like we're hardly saved. But it's you working your work in us. The good times and the bad times are your hand, Lord.